He's been advisor to Presidents Clinton and Trump. And now, he's here to advise us all. Dick Morris is on 77 WABC. And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs. Clowns to the left of me, jokers to the right. Here I am, stuck in the middle with you. You need a microphone. Yep. Mics always help. <laughs> that suggestion was brought to you by my... 61-year-old colleague oh, here, Douglas DePiro, hey, Dick. who actually is today celebrating the fact that he's 358 days away from his next birthday. Wow, imagine that. Doug tends to define things in terms of birthdays. <laughs> and it's my mother's birthday two days ago also. Okay. Happy birthday, Gloria. Happy birthday, Gloria. Okay, so how are the Republicans going to run against the Democrats in 22 and in 24? Well. Take your pick. Inflation, gas prices, illegal immigration, fentanyl flowing in through open doors, crime and murder surging, killings of police officers, the war in Ukraine caused by U.S. weakness, the domination of education by radical left that shuts out parents from decision-making, the stifling of charter schools, runaway government spending, Enormous deficits, making uh, enormous deficits uh, and debt, increasingly rising interest rates that endanger economic recovery. Oh, my God. Ongoing and unjustified restrictions on our liberty left over from COVID, Iran progress toward nuclear weapons, encroachments on the Second Amendment, the counterculture, and many more. That's it? Well, that's kind of a large thing to put on a bumper sticker, isn't it? <laughs> you to, need a dually. Yeah, you have to have an 18-wheeler and several <laughs> added bumpers to be able to put that on a bumper sticker. But uh, you do need bumper stickers in a campaign. You do need a slogan. So I have a slogan for the Republican Party and for Donald Trump. Uh, I'm, I'm going to say it, going to tell him about it when I see him for dinner on Wednesday night at Mar-a-Lago. And uh, my slogan is, had enough, <laughs> had enough. Just say no to Joe. And once you get enough, stop, because we've had enough. Oh, and, uh, you know, the, the ideal thing in a slogan, a political communication, is you go back to the theories of Marshall McLuhan, who kind of his his theories kind of nurtured me in politics. He wrote two books, one in 64 called Understanding Media and one in 67 called The Medium is the Message. That's the quote he's most famous for. And his concept was that when you do an advertisement or you say anything in politics or anything, the text of the ad is not what you write. It's not what you tape. It's what goes on in the mind of the listener. And then the listener fills in the blanks in that advertisement. And the best ads are those that send you on an intellectual journey into your own mind. And you see in your own mind what your own mind is saying to you. Interpretation. Yeah, let me give you an example. My mentor, Tony Schwartz, who died a few years ago, gave me. He said, I'm going to play two ads for you. You can learn the truth about prostitution in New York City in a five-part series starting today in the New York Times. 
And the other ad is, you can read the truth about prostitution in New York City in a five-part series starting today in the National Enquirer. Now, those are two completely different ads with two subtexts. But I didn't say in the ad that the one newspaper is more dignified than the other, more factual and all that. I, I We're biased now to the National Enquirer. <laughs> I learned the script from Tony a while ago. But um, in your own mind, that's a totally different ad. So when you have a slogan like, had enough, everybody fills in the blanks in their own mind as to which of this list of issues they had enough about. Mm -hmm. And you don't tell it to them. You let them tell themselves. Because increasingly, we don't trust people that tell us things, advertisers or politicians or commercial. Uh, we, we, we talk to ourselves and we go through the trip in our own mind. And what comes out is what we believe. And what you need to do is send people into that internal mental journey. And that's essentially what the slogan, Had Enough, would do. It's not original with me. It was developed in 1946 by the Republican Party that wanted to retake the majority in Congress after the Democrats had controlled it since 1928. And this was in 1946. And they again had a whole long list of stuff they were blaming the Democrats for. And the way that they could express it was the phrase, this is the question, had enough? And I think that should be Rudy's campaign theme. Uh, Rudy, um, Donald's, I just spoke to Rudy. <laughs> and I think that the, that, that slogan, had enough, should dominate us in the election. So we are now up to Hunter Biden. And finally, there is a uh, beginning to dawn on the Democratic Party and on the administration, although not Biden, that there's something wrong here, that there's something that, that really is seriously wrong. The Washington Post, that until now has been denial on the scandal, wrote a 3,000-word article, every one of which I read last night, to explain exactly what he did, uh, taking $5 million from a Chinese energy company controlled by the government, the army, and the Communist Party, and dressed up as a legal fee to defend the guy who ultimately did time in jail for an unrelated crime of bribery in Africa, uh, is, was, was a guise for the, for the uh, bribery. It was dressed up as a legal fee. Uh, but when you get down to it, Biden has just profited off his father. And uh, not all of us can. Well, and Hunter made his father the millionaire, <laughs> but uh, that that's yet to come out, and more of that is going to come out, although the uh, laptop that people previously said was a forgery and was Russian disinformation is turning out to be absolutely true, including that famous email that the Washington Post and the New York Times have both yet to mention, yet to mention in their news articles, where Hunter Biden writes... Reserve ten percent to the big guy, and sends that to the to his partner who is processing the money coming in from Ukraine and from uh, the mayor of Moscow and from China. Reserve ten percent for the big guy, 
and uh, we're about to learn who the big guy is, I think. Uh, the What happens after a while, though, is a guy like Hunter Biden, who peddles in special influence, peddles in bribery, in all kinds of nefarious stuff, gets gets hunted himself. Anytime the hunter gets captured by the game, awesome. you know that you're in trouble. And Hunter is in definite trouble. Uh, really, the fact that the Times and the Post ran the story, the Washington Post, it indicates a really deeper problem that Biden faces, which is that the Democrats are trying to dump him. The Democrats are running out on him. They're not going to throw him out. There's not going to be a 25th Amendment. Although if he continues his senility, he can't rule that out. If it becomes unbelievably unavoidable and blatant, they could use. Oh, maybe he fell down. Oh, he got hurt. He hit his head. Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Well, that might be an improvement. <laughs> <laughs> might shake things up. Shake it up. Might be something in there, after all. Right. <laughs> well, he's definitely comfortably numb, isn't he? Hello. Is there anybody in there? <laughs> Is there anyone in there? Yeah. So, but barring a 25th Amendment, I think that after the Democrats get clobbered in the election coming up, you're going to have a move in the among the Democrats to uh, tell Biden not to run again. And uh, he's going to have to get up and say, I'm not going to run again, makes him into a lame duck. He limps along through the last two years. But Dick, can I ask you, you think he would go with that, you know, if, you know, People go up to him and say, Joe, you have to – you think he would actually say, oh, sure, I'll do that. He'll have to. He's not going to resign the presidency that easily. Right. And we're not unless 25 I mean, But he is the president, right? So Right. But if they tell him you got to say you're not going to run again and he gets killed in the election, gets destroyed. Who's they? they uh, the, the Democratic senators mm-hmm. uh, and Pelosi and the gang. And they go over to him and they say, look, you just got massacred in the election – we lost 70, 80 seats. We lost control of both chambers. Freaking Donald Trump is coming at us right. as the virtually certain Republican nominee. You're only about 40 points behind them in the polls. <laughs> get out. <laughs> and only, let one of the rest of us get in. A guy like that kind of guy that says, there's no way I, I could beat him. Yeah, but yeah, it doesn't matter. And when, when we're talking candidacy, the convention rules, the donors rule, okay. the party leaders rule. And they'll still sidetrack him, and that'll begin the fight for the presidency of uh, 2024. So, but I think that part of the deal when they uh, when they knock Biden out will be that the Republicans will have taken control of both houses, and there will be serious investigations coming of Hunter Biden. And by serious investigations, I mean subpoena power. Uh, he has to take the Fifth Amendment. He gets backed into a corner. He's put under oath and have to ask, what did you mean when you wrote the big guy who was right. the big guy? He's going to be asked, did you give your father any money from each of these deals? Did your father know about these deals? And he'll have to answer under oath. And there'll be the possibility of a perjury indictment hanging over his head mm-hmm. from that. Plus, he's going to be in trouble with the Justice Department 
for failing to register as a foreign agent. Plus, he's going to be in trouble with the IRS. And uh, Biden will basically be told that if you stick around too long, your son's going to go to jail for, you know, the rest of his life. So maybe it's time that you moved aside. Um, and I think that, that that really is what's going to happen. Uh, Joe Biden will not be with us for long. Uh, he'll still be president, but basically the whole party will turn its attention to the new to who the next president is going to be. Kakakula. What about Kakakula? Well, people will say, who, "What name did you say?" Kakakula. Okay. Love <laughs> <laughs> Kakakula now. Kakakula is uh, Doug's original line. Kakakula Harris. So play it again. <laughs> <laughs> I had better ones, but I can't say it on here. <laughs> oh, being vice president is so much fun. Uh, you might even say it's a gas. You, Russia is a big country next to a little country. Yeah, I think yeah, she was talking like she's right. in Sesame Street. So um, I think that she'll immediately become the front runner. But right now in the polling, and this is what's astonishing. I forget his job rating, forget anything. What's amazing about this is that when you ask Democratic primary voters who they want to be their candidate in 2024, and you run Biden on the ballot with a list of other candidates, granted including Michelle Obama, who's not really going to run, but he gets only a quarter of the vote. Wow. And uh, when you take Biden out of it, Kamala Harris, which will be the natural answer, gets only 30% of the vote. And when you take her out of it, undecided wins hands down. <laughs> so I think that uh, – so I think Biden's days are, are definitely numbered. Mm-hmm. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. So, Kevin, let's hear from George in Rockland County. Hey, George. Hello. Hi, George. Hi, uh, Morris. I, I hear you. Can you hear me? Yep. Okay. So, as I was telling the gentleman that answer that took my call, I'm literally crying. Okay. Uh, I'm saying it after listening to the long list yep. uh, that you gave about well, the trouble. You were kind enough to tell the, uh, the the guy who took your call saying, uh, is there a solution to this long list of troubles? And uh, let me get, let me wipe your tears here. <laughs> Inflation didn't happen under Trump. Gas prices, $2 under Trump. Illegal immigration didn't happen under Trump. Fentanyl throwing, flowing through open borders, fewer than 20,000 deaths from fentanyl now. There are 100,000. Crime and murder surging, crime rates at historic lows. Killings of police officers, fewer than a third as many killed as we killed this year. War to Ukraine, so on and so on. None of this happened other than Don, under Donald Trump. And that is the answer. The wonderful thing about this election coming up and the next one coming up in 24 is that in every election you have the question, can your guy do better? Not enough to say that this guy's doing badly. Can your guy do better? And here you have the complete answer which is he did. He did better. Let's go to my our friend Judith in Brooklyn. Hi, hey, Judith. Judith. 
Hey, I didn't expect you to take my call so fast. Hold speaker. Hey, good, hi, I was going to say good morning. Good afternoon, Dick, and happy birthday, Doug. Hi, and Judy, Doug, guess you. what? What? Cheer up, cheer up. You're one year younger than next year, okay? Right. <laughs> Thank you so much. I feel so much better. You're welcome. <laughs> you know something? I, I jumped in, and you, you terrific. Dick, you're terrific, all that you said. I jumped in because a thought came to my mind, and I didn't think it through, but maybe I kind of feel they should put these billboards up, and they should have it say, B-B-G-A, and that stands for Bring Back God America, because they're crazy. They are now trying to say that porn is okay. Did you talk about Colson? Porn is okay for little children, transgender day. We have to bring back God again. There should be a big bill. But another thing, maybe we'll settle for Trump before he comes. We'll we'll bring back Trump. It's Easter, so we want to bring back Jesus. But let's bring back Trump at the moment instead. Go ahead. (laughs) Oh, thank you. The other thing I want to say, what do you think of this? I'm sick and tired of BLM. To me, it stands for bad lying Marxists. Yep, That's who yep. they are, mm-hmm. hypocrites. I agree. And I would like them to get out of the schools, and they have posters and so- signs and whatever. I think we should counter them by making our own posters and signs and just getting in the schools in their face and cross out I... the B and put in an A and have it say ALM, which stands for All Lives Matter. Right. Thank you very much. Good for you. Actually, right? That's a good slogan, Judith. <laughs> um, I would prefer, though, uh, BLT, BLT, (laughs) I'm sorry, BLM is running against MLK. That really is what's happening. Black Lives Matter with the the equity going out the door, equality going out the door, preferences being given to everybody but whites versus Martin Luther King, judge someone by the content of their character. Now, we have a horrible, horrible development taking place in Ukraine that is not being well covered, but that is awful. Um, remember the name. Remember the the name Alexander Dvorniak. Alexander Dvorniak. D v o r n i k e. He is the new general who has been appointed by uh, Putin to be in charge of his forces in the Ukraine. And this is a name that will go down in history, probably not alongside Hitler, uh, but certainly alongside Goring and Goebbels, uh, someone of that ilk. Um, it's, his record is unbelievable. He's really being sent in as a butcher. General Dvornikov commanded the Russian forces in the Syrian civil war, and they were accused of attacking residential neighborhoods and gassing civilians. Oh, my God. In the 2015 war, as part of Russia's intervention to prop up the government in the Ukraine, Russian troops have escalated their attacks against civilian areas uh, back then, and they're doing it again now, including a rocket attack on a train station on Friday that killed more than 50 people who were lining up trying to flee the country. It's unbelievable. And they have now put Dvorniak, am I pronouncing it right? we got to learn that name. Dvornikov. 
They have now put Dvornikov in charge of the Russian war effort. And uh, it's very clear that this is going to be a vicious escalation of the war, and we better prepare for it. Uh, the thought has been ventured that the uh, Ukrainians should give up Donbass, the eastern Ukraine area that's at least half Russian-speaking. But I did an interview on Newsmax the other day with uh, Yushchenko. The- and it was great. Everyone should look into it and try to see it. He was the former prime, former president of Ukraine, was my client. He was the guy who was poisoned uh, by Putin uh, right before, right as he was winning the election. He recovered and served his term and was instrumental in making Ukraine independent of Russia. And uh, he says that there's no way that Ukraine could ever give up those eastern provinces. They would cut the absolute heart out of the country. If you can't ask Ukraine to give up 10% population, most of their coal, and when the population of that region overwhelmingly wants to be part of Ukraine. They voted that again and again. Zelensky carried eastern Ukraine. Uh, so if it was necessary to fight a war to leave, the Ukrainian people said no. They want to stay in Donbass, said they want to stay in Ukraine. And uh, there's there's no way that they can be jettisoned from the country. And the basic point about Ukraine is stick with it, guys. Go for it. No way they're going to surrender. No yeah, way. There's not. No and, way. Uh, and thank God they're not. Uh, thank God Joe Biden doesn't lead Ukraine. Oh, God. You know, I mean, that's kind of what World War II was all about. Neville Chamberlain leading Britain. And uh, he led them into a world war. And, uh, and thank God that isn't happening. I'm a loser. This is Biden's theme song. I'm a loser. <laughs> I appear to be the president, and I'm not really. Right. Um, Jay in Palo Alto, California, has a good question for us. Hi, Jay. Hi. I, uh, first, I want to congratulate you on your slogan, Had Enough. I think we have all had enough. Yep. And the real issue I think we need to face is what do the American people do when they've had enough? Donald Trump. Yeah. Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Donald Trump. Wishing you were here. Um, yeah, wishing you were here. I'm, I'm so glad you asked an easy question, Jay. 
an easy answer. None of these problems existed under him. All of the potential for the problems existed when he was president, but he didn't do any of the policies that caused it. He didn't create higher gas prices. He didn't crack down on oil. He didn't embrace all the crazy theories of the climate change folks. And uh, and thank thank goodness we had him. And everyone always says this wouldn't have happened with Donald Trump. It didn't happen. This Ukraine thing and all this stuff that's going that's on. Right. It didn't happen. That's right. Not that it wouldn't. Hi, it's Lou Dobbs for Priority Gold, America's precious metals dealer. These are volatile times with high inflation, soaring debt, wars on multiple continents, and rising financial stress. Central banks are buying gold to diversify their reserves, so are many Americans. Call Priority Gold and find out how precious metals can help you diversify your portfolio. They're highly rated and happy to help. Call 1-866-303-6357 or get a free gold guide at PriorityGoldGuide.com. That's Priority PriorityGoldGuide.com. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. If you think Biden's opened the floodgates in the southern border to illegal immigration, you ain't seen nothing yet. About half of the people who are turned away are now being turned away, not on the grounds that they're coming illegally, not on the grounds that they're not refugees seeking political asylum, but on the grounds that there is a temporary freeze on people coming into the country who've not been vaccinated and are not immune to COVID in order for us to stop the COVID epidemic. It's the one aspect of the anti-COVID regime that has remained in force, thank goodness, and has given Biden a political justification to stop opening the border. Biden has a problem when it comes to the border. He's pledged himself on the one hand to keep the border open and to let in anybody who wants. And on the other hand, he's telling his base that I take COVID seriously. And unlike the last guy, I'm into it. And you all should continue to wear your masks and continue to social distance. So people are saying, okay, man, which is it? Mm. Um, Do we keep the border open or do we wear our masks? Do we take off the masks and open up the border? Which is it? So Section 42 of uh, of the U.S. Code annotated gave him the out, which said in the event of an emergency medical situation where there was a serious chance of a communicable diseases coming into the country, uh, the president is authorized to detain people trying to come in and to turn them away, even if they would otherwise have grounds to get here. So without offending the left, he can appease the people who love masks and are all worried about COVID. But now the virus is going away, and there are millions of people, and I do mean millions, estimates 18,000 a day, who are in unison singing, Trump had this whole problem solved. It was unbelievable. Let me, let me just walk you through it again for refresh your memory and 
and an oldie but goodie. Donald Trump took office, and his problem was, how does he seal the border? When he tried to seal the border and stop people from coming in, everybody went crazy, and the lawyers for the illegal would-be immigrants who were hired at public expense, our expense, uh, brought suit and said, you can't prejudge these cases. These are a million people that want to come into the United States because they're all the victims of political persecution and religious tyranny and racial discrimination, and you can't turn away these refugees without giving them a hearing in court. So while the limited number of judges have to listen to all these cases with extra briefs and amicus briefs piled on by the lawyers, Trump had to keep them someplace, so he kept them locked up. And they brought children in with them, and the media played had fun with all of the photos of children being in jail. But they didn't want to keep children in adult jails. You're not supposed to do that. So they put them in special facilities for children. And then they were attacked for separating kids from their parents. And the issue developed a political traction that made it incredibly compelling. It was going to force open the border. So what Trump did was he looked at the NAFTA treaty, North American Free Trade Treaty, that he had attacked during the campaign. And he said, you know, I'm going to revise this treaty. And he met with Mexico and with Canada, and he came up with a revised treaty. But it had one element in it that was just incredibly ingenious. Nobody writes about it, but it was unbelievable. He said to the Mexican government, I will let the cars that you make in Mexico into the United States without tariffs, without taxes, as long as the average salary of your auto workers in Mexico who are building the car exceeds exceeds an average of $15 an hour. Mm. The first time in history there had ever been a trade agreement that specified the wages to be paid to the workers. He said that the reason for it was that he didn't want cheap labor beating out U.S. workers by offering them starvation wages. But that was only one of his motives. His hidden motive was that he wanted to create a trade deal so attractive to Mexico that he could get them to do whatever he wanted to do. In the meantime, Mexico elected this damn near communist, Lopez Obrador. I ran three campaigns against him. I was two and one, but lost the third one. He's now president. And he and and he and he rejected NAFTA. He wanted to get out of NAFTA. He's against it, U.S. imperialism. But then he saw the new terms of this deal, and he can't oppose it because his own workers are getting fifteen dollars an hour, whereas they used to get bupkis for pay. Mm. Bupkis, you know, chickens. Yeah, chicken feed. And uh, and and so, what's he going to do? Oppose the agreement that he staked his career on when his workers are clamoring for it? Can't do that. So he goes back to Trump and he says, okay, I'll sign, I'll sign. This is good. We'll do it. Then Trump says, hey, by the way, you've really increased your trade with the United States as a result of this agreement. And Lopez Obrador says, yeah, and our economy is doing pretty well as a result of it. That was a pretty good deal. Then Trump says, well, guess what? (laughs) Unless you change your policy and you put your troops on the border, 28,000 Mexican troops on your side of the border, and you arrest anyone that wants to cross, and you put them in a Mexican jail, not an American jail. Brilliant. 
and anybody comes to the U.S., we turn them away, we hand them over to you, and you take care of the guy. Brilliant. And our lawyers can kick and scream till hell freezes over, but our courts have no jurisdiction in Mexico. You do have the jurisdiction, and you're saying, let them remain in Mexico. And by the way, if you don't do that, not only won't I follow this free trade agreement, I'm going to impose economic sanctions on you, wow. which is condemning Mexico to the world's worst depression any country has ever been through. Sky-high unemployment, unbelievable inflation, the peso would fall apart. 3D chess. Yeah, so 3D chess, right. So Obrador says, you know, I think I see the light. I'm <laughs> going to put 28,000 guys on the border, and I'm going to keep everybody here. And bang, the problem goes away completely Amazing. because we had a president with a brain right. who figured out how to deal with this, not just to deal with the problem, but to deal with the American left lawyers who had created a legal problem. And this non-attorney, Donald Trump, comes up with this answer that nobody thought of. Nobody imagined it. And even after he did it, very few people understood what he'd done. I spoke to him and I congratulated him on the $15 an hour thing. And he said, yeah, that, that forced his hand. He didn't want to sign that deal. But with that, he had to. Wow. And uh, just an act of brilliant, brilliant genius. So now when they say, let me in, will you? Um, <laughs> we, we have an alternative to that. <laughs> that was brilliant. That now, was brilliant. Um, I proposed earlier in the show a slogan for the Republican Party as we approach these next two elections. And it was, had enough? Uh, just the question, great big question mark. I was telling somebody and they said we should do a slogan that said enough is enough. And I said, no, keep it as a question. Let the viewer, the listener in his own mind answer that question. Uh, and, and I think that's, that's the right way to do it. Let's go to Chris and the Catskills. Hey, Chris. Now you're referring to allowing the audience to come conclude the remainder the illusion that's made the the art of effectively delivering rhetorical enthymimes and political rhetoric you got it that is correct that's what you call Kenneth it burke burke and burke and rhetoric talks about a three-step process separation identification by burke you mean edmund burke yeah yeah well but that was a little before we knew about much about the human mind but you're right so i wanting to be have equilibrium an equal, equal justice here, designed a slogan, in fact, a song for the Democratic Party in this coming election. It relates to one of our favorite people on earth, Mickey Mouse. Who's the isn't that inspiring? Can't you just see all the parents of America marching with the new female Mickey and male Minnie <laughs> going into a demonstration? Shim. For the Democratic Party? Can't you just see the new take on Disney's Democrats? <laughs> that's, that's what we face. And I think it's a fair gesture on my part to suggest a slogan and a song to them if I suggested one to our guys. <laughs> uh, but, um, you know, you seriously. You not boys and girls anymore? No, you're not allowed to say boys and girls. At, at Disney. That's it and it. it. Yeah. yeah. 
Um, so the thing to remember and to think about the Disney thing is of all of the means of communication in this country, all of the radio, all of the TV, all of the live performances, there are very few that are explicitly and exclusively aimed at children. You have Sesame Street, you have the Muppets, and you have Disney World. Mm. And the entire empire is targeted at children. So when you're doing something, you're not embracing the whole range of adults and whole range of social causes. You are talking to children. Mm. And therefore, Disney has has become basically a, a, a delivery mechanism for exposing them to Gay propaganda, indoctrination, and child propaganda, and child propaganda. Yeah, exactly. The whole trick here is we all agree that we should not discriminate against gays. Most of us, absolutely. Do. We all agree that many of us do. Most of us do that if they want to live together, if they want to be married, okay, fine. They want to put it in their wills, and they want to have health insurance rights and all that Good. stuff. Great. Whatever you do in private, if you're a consenting adult, is fine with us. Right. But the gays are pretending, the gay leaders are pretending that they are still the objects of this vicious, horrible discrimination that they were subject to as victims, as undeserving victims, as, as, as put upon victims because of their sexuality. And that in order to stop that from happening again, we have to indoctrinate young children so that they can be exposed to being gay before they even know about sexuality in the first place, in the first, second, and third grade in kindergarten. And we're not allowed to draw that line between fighting discrimination, which we all want to do, and proselytizing, which they want us to do. And we are told that unless we proselytize and glorify and publicize and propagandize on behalf of the gay lifestyle, we are discriminating against gays. And that is horrible. It's the same thing like in girls' sports, where unless we let men who become women compete against real women in women's sports and beat them all the time, we are discriminating against transgender women. That's ridiculous. It's that They refuse to draw that line between educating and propagandizing on the one hand and not discriminating on the other hand. And it's a very, very bright line and one that we should all respect. So uh, so that's my feeling. I think that there is, I think that we have to understand that difference and fight for that difference and fight for both halves of it. Absolutely. Fight for the part of fighting against discrimination. Let's admit that the society made a massive blunder when it decided it would discriminate against gays. But let's also admit that we are being asked now to make another blunder, which is to proselytize the gay lifestyle uh, to children who are just beginning to discover their sexual identity. You're so right. It's Sunday, and you know what that means. Here's Dick Morris on 77 WABC. On Sunday, on Wednesday, I'm going down to Mar-a-Lago and uh, to meet with the Donald. <laughs> and um, 
as I walk into the uh, Mar-a-Lago Resort, I'm going to be greeted by a new song. Donald Trump has endorsed the Wizard of Oz. Uh, he just came out in the in the Pennsylvania Senate race for uh, Oz, Doctor Oz, who is running for the Senate against McCormick in a tightly fought Republican primary. And um, I personally don't have a dog in that hunt. Uh, I think they're both good candidates, but uh, and I actually there is a story I'd like to tell about Doctor Oz that that will maybe warm up your attitude toward him. Um, I was at a party uh, once at the home of Wilbur Ross, the future Treasury, future Commerce Secretary, and Dr. Oz was at the party with his wife, and he was talking with Eileen and me, and his wife told the story that the Saudi royal family asked him to perform heart surgery on one of their princes, and he was supposed to fly over to Saudi Arabia on a private jet and all that, and be paid an enormous fee, I thought potentially in the millions almost, to do that surgery. And um, he forgot the name of his wife, Mrs. Oz, said, I won't let you do that until they let Saudi women drive. And they changed their policy about Saudi women not being allowed to drive cars. And uh, they apparently fought over it a bit, (laughs) and he wasn't so happy about giving up the money. But he did. He turned him down. He wouldn't do the surgery. He wouldn't fly over there. And he said the reason is because you won't let women drive. Wow. That says a statement, not just about Oz's wife, but about Oz himself. Admirable. And, you know, that's not something that's in campaign rhetoric. He's never published that. In fact, I shouldn't even probably have said it, but he just told me that over drinks at at a party. Um. The more relevant point to us, not in Pennsylvania, is what do we think about Donald Trump making endorsements in these races? And I love it. I think it's the most important thing, one of the most important things he's done. When we look back on the history of this era, we will see Donald Trump's handiwork, not just in his appointments to the courts, but in his changes in the Republican Party. He has finally gotten the Republican Party to come to grips with what it is and what it is not. The Republican Party is essentially a layer cake. The first layer was the traditional free market laissez-faire Adam Smith economics. That was added, basically that's what found, really what founded the party was Abraham Lincoln and abolition and with it the wage system and, and free wages and free markets but it became free market capitalism. Then in the uh, 1940s and 50s, uh, anti-communism became the second layer. National security, anti-communism, the only party willing to stand up to Stalin and go back to where we came from now in fighting for Ukraine. The third layer came about in the Reagan era, which was social conservatism, anti-abortion, social conservative values, school prayer. And that became the third layer of the party. And it was Reagan's genius to combine a party that was motivated primarily by economics 
and military issues and defense to with one that was based on social concerns and religious values. Donald Trump's strength is that he brought brought a fourth layer to that cake, which is a consciousness of American nationalism and putting America first and specifically putting the working class in America first Mm. became a core element of the Republican Party, the fourth layer of the cake. But at a certain level, the fourth layer was always in conflict with the first layer. The desire to have uh, America first was always in conflict with what Adam Smith wrote, free trade, open borders. The desire to protect America against a wave of illegal immigrants who would drive down wages for the American workers was always in conflict with the free markets and free wages and free labor precepts of Adam Smith capitalism. And so there was always a wing of the Republican Party led by a group called the Club for Growth that funded conservative races. And they were, they abhorred the Trump doctrine of America first and said it crashed, clashed with our notion of free market entrepreneurial capitalism. And for rhetorical purposes, we can identify the free market guys as the country club and we can identify the America first guys as the blue collar workers. And the question was who would capture the soul of the Republican Party? And that is what is the issue now in the primary elections of 22. Who owns the soul of the Republican Party? The free market capitalists who say don't get in the way of trade, free flow of goods and services, tariffs a bad idea, the government shouldn't pick winners and losers, we shouldn't try to uh, discipline China through trade, uh, we should have open trade with everybody. And the uh, American worker who says, I can't compete against starvation wages and I shouldn't have to compete on a world level against wages, but on a price level just within the United States when I go to buy something. And which would prevail, free flow of goods and labor or America first protecting American workers? And in all of these races where you see Donald Trump making an endorsement, what's behind it all is that conflict. George Bush, senior and junior and almost Jeb, and George Bush future, what's his name, Philip Mm. Bush, um, George Bush past, present, and future like Scrooge, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, is, is, uh, is the country club wing of the Republican Party. And they do not favor uh, tough sanctions. They went along with Bill Clinton in letting China into the World Trade Organization. They never secured the border. Their remedy for illegal immigration was amnesty, which was just, just encouraged more to come. And that wasn't, they didn't, they deliberately did that. Uh, They represented the agribusiness growers who wanted the stream of free and low-cost migrant labor so that they could harvest our fruits and vegetables and market them at reasonable prices to us and with reasonable profits to them. And this became the dogma of the country club Republican set. Against that was what you could call the working class club set – I would prefer to call them the Rotary Club Republicans, the uh, the Lions Club, the Elks Club, uh, the kind of folks, the small business wing, the kind of folks who meet at Tea Party rallies, uh, people who are small businessmen uh, and who are or who are blue collar workers, and who see things in terms of nationalism, their own economy, their own pocketbooks, 
America first. They don't have trust funds. They don't live at that kind of level. And they have interests that are very different than the country club Republicans. Now, this battle was epitomized in 2016 when Donald Trump ran against Jeb Bush for the Republican nomination. There were a bunch of other candidates there, Ted Cruz, who was great. But Bush against Trump was the, was the guts of that fight. And the guts of the fight was America First versus the country club Republicans. And uh, America First won, but not decisively. Uh, Trump got the nomination, but there were a lot of never-Trumpers in there, a lot of people at the convention who opposed him, a lot of people who didn't support the ticket, and then a lot of turncoats who pretended to support him until the going got tough, mm. and the Liz Cheney's who voted the way she voted against Trump for one reason only, which is Liz was carrying a contract from the Bush family to get Donald Trump for what he did to Jeb. And um, Elizabeth Chan, Liz Cheney's vote against Trump was basically payback for Trump mocking uh, Jeb out of politics and making him a ludicrous figure. And and then all of the other rhinos followed suit, and you have a whole cast of characters of them in the people's voting to, imp- to impeach Trump and a bunch of hypocrites who pretended they didn't want to impeach him, but they voted not to do so because they're terms were expiring and they needed his endorsement in 22, so they pretended to be pro-Trump. And uh, what Trump is doing is he's going state by state and he's separating the wheat from the chaff. He's saying these guys are rhinos, these women are against me, these people don't want my agenda, they're country club types, vote against them and go for the people that are really America first types and understand the need to pursue the policies I've pursued and vote for them in the primaries. And he's cleansing the Republican Party. He doesn't articulate it thematically like that. He should. I'll talk to him about that this weekend, this week. But the point is that he puts it in terms of personal loyalty. Those who helped me, those who tried to screw me, those who tried to throw me out of office, those who didn't call the election of 2020 a stolen fraud like I have and like it was, uh, and who pussyfoot on that issue and those who really are aggressive. But the fundamental issue going on here is the one I just articulated, the country club against the America first. Let's go to uh, Jonathan in New Jersey. Hey, Jonathan. Here's my slogan. Had enough of the big guy. Combine the two lines. The big guy, yeah, that's true. That's true. <laughs> and and if you think you're the big guy, um, you better have the bank account to prove it. Hmm. Uh, let's go to Mark in New Jersey. Hey. Yeah, hi, Dick. Uh, by the way, thank you. I was listening in while I was waiting. And my basic philosophy is if America fails, the world turns into post-chrome chaos yeah. with nuclear weapons. Yeah, you're right. The reason and that's I- a great metaphor, you know. Pax Romana goes away. Yeah. Weapons of America. That's why America First is so important. But um, what I called about is um, the, war, the battle between Disney World and Governor DeSantis' law about the gender t- studies for mm-hmm. kids in kindergarten and in first, third grade. Well, I called, um, I looked on um, Disney's website, and they have a babysitting service and a child care service. 
Now, they've been had these legacy rules for a long time where they operated outside the purviews of the state of uh, uh, Florida. Yeah. Now, I'm sure that babysitting and child care services has to be licensed by the state of yeah, Florida. Yeah, right. So I would suggest I call Governor DeSantis's office and mm-hmm. talk to the staffer, and I suggested that they revoke Disney's um, mm-hmm. child care and babysitting services. Yes. Some of them are in-house and some of them are outsourced. Yeah, I, I, I don't know about that. I mean, you, the the penalty you're going to exact on Disney is not that people won't go there because there's nobody to babysit their kids. It's that you call attention to what they're doing. You don't need to pro- to attack Disney. You just need to give them a microphone mm. so that what they say, everybody absorbs. Because they just want to continue to talk Mickey and Minnie and, you know, how Magic Kingdom. Uh, but make that ideology. Make, let them hang themselves with their own rhetoric. That, that's my view. I also want to warn people against going to Disney World because the place is infested with mice. Mickey, Minnie, there are mice running all over the place. <laughs> That's the public health reason not to. That's how I learned to spell, by the way. Me too. <laughs> yeah. Now I use my M-O-U-S-E, but it's in my right hand and it's on my computer. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so we talked here about the uh, about Had Enough, which is a slogan I recommend to the Republican Party. Because you can't list all the negatives there are. You have to summarize it. When I worked in the campaign for Brexit against the European Union, I I had the same problem, a hundred different reasons to let Britain out of the EU. And uh, I had to come up with a slogan. So I said the slogan should be, no! (laughs) Probably pronounced the way a two-year-old does. No! And we put the O as the the stars of the European Union on a gold background and we put posters all over Britain. And that was it, just no. That's how we won it. No! And in this case, the slogan should be had enough. Yeah, right. I don't know why I tonight I got the feeling that something right I'm so scared in case I fall off my chair And I'm wondering how I'll get down the stairs This is Greg Kelly for Priority Gold. What does it mean to be America's precious metals dealer? It means that you're in touch with the hearts and minds of those who love this country, value our freedom, and want to protect the future. Priority Gold is that precious metals dealer. They've helped thousands of Americans back their retirement with solid gold and silver. Call Priority Gold at 888-506-6439. Receive free shipping, free storage, a free investment guide, and one of the best purchase experiences in the industry. Call now or go to PriorityGold.com.